opinions expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and not necessarily those of Salem Communications, staff, management, or advertisers. Activist Radio is on the air. You have tuned in to the Mark Harrington Show, sponsored by Created Equal. Mark is training a new generation of leaders to take on the culture of death and win. You don't like abortion, don't have one. The only thing that can be said to be objective truth is that there is no objective truth. It does come out in one piece. It comes out in one piece. I would argue that we certainly are not all created equal. And now, here's Mark. Well, folks, the presidential field for president of the United States has finally narrowed from, what is it, 24 candidates initially back in, early in the summer. And now, as of last night, it's narrowed to 10 candidates for the Democrat nomination for president. You're listening to your radio activist here on the Mark Harrington Show, your voice of resistance. You can find out more about us by going to markharrington.org. I'm also the president of Created Equal, the pro-life organization based out of the Midwest here. And we're coming to you from our Created Equal studios here in Columbus, Ohio. We're being streamed over my social media platforms. And you can pick us up if you're uh, in Detroit, Cleveland, or Columbus over the air on Salem Radio on Saturdays. So if you're uh, one to inclined to listen to radio over the air, you know, old school, uh, we come uh, over the air in those cities on Salem Radio. So. The presidential field is narrowed to 10 White House hopefuls for president of the United States. And they all, every single one of them, advocates for killing babies up until the very moment of birth. That's one thing they all have in common. And they continue to go out on the stump talking about that. Uh, We're going to discuss the whole race for president. We're also going to be talking about the U.S. Supreme Court and the possibility of the overturning of Roe versus Wade in light of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's ongoing health issues today on the show. So stick around. Uh, You're going to get some really important information. Probably not going to hear anything like it anywhere else. I'm going to give you a different perspective on the U.S. Supreme Court today that you don't often hear. So let's do this. Uh, Each one of the candidates support abortion up to the very moment of birth. Uh, They are the candidates of of infanticide, late-term abortion. If you don't believe me, let me play a clip. This is Beto O'Rourke the other day. Beto O'Rourke. Well, there's a name for you. Uh, He was speaking in a campaign stop, and he basically said that abortion should be permissible up to the time of birth as when he was asked by someone in the audience. So if you would, let's go ahead and play that clip. My question is this. I was born September 8th, 1989. And I want to know if you think on September 7th, 1989, my life had no value. Good question. Of course, I don't think that. And um, of, course of course, I'm glad that you're here. But you you um, referenced my answer in, in Ohio, and it remains the same. This is a decision that neither you nor I nor the United States government should be making. That's a decision for the woman to make. Is that right? There you go. Beto O'Rourke supporting late-term abortion up to the very moment of birth. 
What a great question from someone in the audience. That took some courage. Obviously, the guy's pro-life. He asked him the question, what would happen to me on September 7th if I were born on September 8th? If, I, you know, if it was legal to kill a baby up to birth, I wouldn't be here. What a great question put to O'Rourke. And of course, he goes back to his talking points that it should be a woman's, woman's right to choose. He says it should be a decision for the woman to make. Really, Beto? Really? Is that right? So if you're in the birth canal, it's okay to kill you. But if you're out of the birth canal, supposedly maybe you're. it's not okay to kill you. Is that the position of the presidential candidates for president? Yep. That is it. That's it. And um, Beto O'Rourke is doubling down on this whole thing of full-term abortion. Full-term abortion. And then the worst part is everybody claps for it. Uh, you know, this idea that well, women have a right to choose to kill a baby up until the very moment of birth. It's unbelievable. It's diabolical. Uh, it's It really is hard to imagine that we've reached a place in America where we would have an entire uh, party, a political party that supports late-term abortion up to the very moment of birth and even infanticide. But that's basically what we're facing. So we have this uh, narrowing of the field. There's 10 candidates now. The next presidential debate will be on September 13. Just going to be one night. Yours truly and Created Equal will be there in Houston protesting the event, uh, conducting outreach at the event to those who are going inside and gathering in downtown Houston for the event. So you want to continue to be following us here on social media and also on the Mark Harrington Show to find out how all that goes, because we're going to be heading down to Houston, Texas on September 13 for the uh, next uh, presidential debate. Uh, now that there are only 10 left, uh, it's going to start getting interesting. So let me switch gears here. I mean, it all plays into this this uh, kind of a upping the ante on the 2020 uh, campaign for president. When you have candidates like Beto O'Rourke saying we should have abortion up to the uh, very moment of birth, uh, all the candidates believe that. And then we had last week the news that Ruth Bader Ginsburg is uh, fighting pa pa pancreatic cancer, pancreatic cancer. And this isn't the first time uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has had problems with cancer. Uh, she had colon cancer in 1999. That's a long time ago, 20 years. She had pancreatic cancer cord, uh, apparently in, in 2009. I was unaware of that. And then last winter, if you recall, uh, she was diagnosed with lung cancer and went under, went, uh, uh, underwent treatment for that. So she's had colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, and lung cancer. Now the pancreatic cancer apparently has come back. Now, we don't know what the fate of Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to be, but with pancreatic cancer, especially coming back, people don't generally survive very long. Uh, normally, it's three to four months. I mean, that's about it. Some people last or live up to a full year from their diagnosis, but I think it's fairly... Uh, I guess, a pretty good guess to say that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat on the U.S. Supreme Court is likely going to be open next summer. She has vowed to stay on the court for now. She says she's not prepared to retire. 
But we all know that I think eventually that's coming. In fact, it almost certainly will come next summer. And if it does, we are looking at the mother of all battles in the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, why is that? Well, first of all, we have the presidential year. Uh, that's, that's happening. But we also have this, this kind of unwritten rule that was espoused by uh, Joe Biden back in 1992, and it's called the Biden Rule. And the Biden Rule is basically this. Joe Biden's the one who came up with it. Uh, I guess historically presidents have done this as a general rule. And that is the Biden rule is the idea that a president running for reelection or or not, if he, you know, his, his term is up eight years or whatever, two terms, uh, rather than nominating someone for the U.S. Supreme Court during an election year, the Biden rule says that we ought to leave that up to the voters to decide and not uh, fill the vacancy. And for, you know, some presidents have adhered to it, others haven't. If you recall, uh, the Biden rule was uh, uh, espoused by Majority Leader uh, McConnell in the final year of Barack Obama's presidency when he put up Merrick Garland to fill the position of Justice Scalia. And uh, in that year, Senate Majority Leader McConnell refused to bring uh, Merrick Garland up before the Senate Judiciary Committee, and therefore the guy never got a vote. And then President Donald Trump was elected and they filled the vacancy with Neil Gorsuch. So this is the Biden rule. Now, it's going to be interesting if the Majority Leader McConnell is actually going to adhere to the rule that he espoused in the final year of Barack Obama's presidency as it relates to the uh, final year of the first term of Donald Trump. Uh, my guess is he's not going to. In fact, he's already signaled that he's going to fill the seat. If Ruth Bader Ginsburg retires next summer or sooner, that seat is going to be filled, according to Majority Leader Senator, uh, Senator McConnell. So he's not going to adhere to the Biden rule, apparently, which is so typical of politicians that they'll they'll you know depending on the, how the political winds are blowing they'll use the rule to their advantage in the case of barack obama uh they will refuse to bring up merrick garland uh to to, to the ju judiciary committee but when it comes to the re replacement of ruth bader ginsburg or another justice in the summer of 2020 uh they're not going to adhere to the biden rule so uh, I think the Biden rule is stupid, first of all. I think basically if there's a vacancy on the court, it ought to be filled. I mean, it just should be filled. Uh, just have a vote on the person, up or down, and let it, let it rip. But it looks like he will not adhere to the Biden rule, and therefore you're going to get uh, – he's going to get a lot of flack for that, especially in a presidential year. So we have this perfect storm. We've got the, the presidential elections happening. Uh, by then, we'll know who the nominee for the Democrat Party will be probably next summer. And it's likely that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's uh, seat will be vacant and likely going to be attempted to at least be filled by President Trump. So if you want to know more about the Biden rule, here's Joe Biden himself in 1992. If you go ahead and play that clip against acting on Supreme Court nominations in a presidential year is particularly strong.
when the vacancy occurs in the summer or the fall of the election season. Thus, while a few justices have been confirmed in the summer or fall of the presidential election season, such confirmations are rare as we enter the summer of the presidential election year. It is time to consider whether this unbroken string of historical tradition should be broken. In my view, what history supports, common sense dictates in the case of 1992. Where the nation should be treated to a consideration of constitutional philosophy, all it will get in such circumstances is a partisan bickering and political posturing from both parties and from both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. As a result, go ahead and stop it there, Mr. Producer. You get the point. Uh, Joe Biden is espousing a rule or unwritten understanding that you do not nominate a replacement for the U.S. Supreme Court during an election. Or he even said in the summer or fall of an election year. It's interesting that Merrick Garland was actually put up uh, not in the election year, but it was in the winter of the year prior. And yet Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell refused to bring him up, citing the Biden rule. And my guess is the Biden rule is going to go out the window. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg's replacement is likely going to be nominated by President Trump next summer or even sooner. And my guess is that the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to hear the hear the case for that replacement, and they have the numbers. I mean, it's a 53-47 majority by the Republicans, so it's highly likely that President Trump will get a third uh, justice on the U.S. Supreme Court before the November elections of 2020. Now, let's switch gears. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let's say that President Trump gets another uh, nominee on the on the court. Let's say he gets uh, the the next nominee and replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg confirmed. How does that? Uh, what does that do to the fate of Roe versus Wade? Roe versus Wade. Well, there'll be some out there who say, "Well, we have a six-three majority. Then, therefore, Roe versus Wade is hanging by a thread." Uh, they would say that uh, the, the the likelihood increases because we would have six conservative, quote-unquote, conservative justices on the U.S. Supreme Court, which would increase the likelihood of Roe versus Wade being overturned. And I would say not so fast. Not so fast. I don't think we need to get ahead of ourselves. Uh, we don't want to be just wishful thinking here in hopes that uh, this is going to be overturned. Uh, we don't want to give people false hope. I think we need to be real about the odds of the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade, even if Ruth Bader Ginsburg is replaced. Let's do the math. It's real simple here, folks. Let's do the math. We got to deal with things as they are, not as we wish them to be. As far as we know, in the current makeup of the court, there's only one for sure anti-Roe vote, and that is Clarence Thomas. He's the only one who has come out in an opinion and said that he thinks Roe versus Wade is bad law. Here's uh, Clarence Thomas, who joined Chief Justice Rehnquist in the 1992 Planned Parenthood versus Casey case when he stated, quote, the joint opinion, which was written both by him and Rehnquist, 
the joint opinion following its newly minted variation on stare decisis. Now, stare decisis is the is the view that we ought to look at precedent and and consider precedent when we're de deciding cases. The joint opinion following its newly minted variation on stare decisis retains the outer shell of Roe versus Wade, but beats a wholesale retreat from the substance of that case. Now he's talking about Casey here. We believe that Roe was wrongly decided and that it can and should be overruled consistently with our traditional approach to stare decisis in constitutional cases. So here we have the only sitting justice on the U.S. Supreme Court saying that Roe was wrongly decided and should be overturned. That's Clarence Thomas. So we got one, right? Now, let's go to Justice Samuel Alito, who also sits on the court right now, and John Roberts. They both have had conflicting statements on the topic, especially John Roberts. Uh, during his confirmation for the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, and also as a circuit judge, Roberts said that Roe is settled law. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, he's just stating the facts. And the fact is that Roe, as it is right now, is settled in that it is a precedent of the U.S. Supreme Court. That's true in the, case, in, in the sense that it's settled as far as the court is concerned. But the point of the matter is, or the question is, can settled law be unsettled? Uh, and, and we don't know uh, where Roberts stands in uh, in regard to Roe versus Wade. Uh, in his confirmation hearing as a circuit course judge, he was asked by um, Dick Durbin, I think it was, or no, I'm sorry, Senator Specter, and he was asked this. Uh, Judge Roberts, in your confirmation hearing for circuit court, you testified, quote, that Roe is the settled law of the land. Do you mean settled for you or settled only for your capacity as a circuit judge or settled beyond that? That's what he asked. Roberts responded, well, beyond that, it's settled as a precedent of the court entitled to respect under the principles of stare decisis. And those principles applied to the Casey case explain when cases should be revisited and when they should not. And it is settled as a president of the court. Yes. So he's basically saying it's set a law. Uh, he's not saying whether he unsettle it, but he's certainly not saying that it is unconstitutional and should be reversed or it was wrongly decided. So I, I think John Roberts is a, is a wild card. In fact, I think it's highly unlikely that he's going to vote to overturn Roe versus Wade unless there's a, a supermajority on the court, even more than a 6-3, maybe a 7-2 majority that might reverse it because John Roberts is the chief justice. And John Roberts has been one that believes very strongly in keeping the, uh, uh, the court stable, as he puts. The stability of the court matters to uh, the chief justice. And therefore, it's unlikely he's going to be taking up anything that th is this controversial unless he has over no, uh, overwhelming numbers like a seven to two decision. So I think John Roberts is in the questionable category, if not a no. So right now we're one for maybe one questionable or no. And now we got J uh, Justice Alito. 
And Justice Alito, Alito is also unclear. There's not been a whole lot said by him. Uh, I would say he leans to an anti-Roe vote, uh, but it's really hard to know based on his history. Uh, in his Senate confirmation hearings, he showed far less regard for bad precedent as Roberts did. In other words, uh, he, he's, he's more willing maybe to reconsider this stuff. Uh, and there was an exchange with him and Dick Durbin, Senator Dick Durbin, where Dick Durbin asked this question. John Roberts, you said that Roe versus Wade, uh, it, that uh, that Roe versus Wade is an impre uh, important. Uh, OK, so I'm sorry. Alito, in answering Senator Durbin, said this. Roe versus Wade is an important precedent of the U.S. Supreme Court. It was decided in 1973. So it's been on the books for a long time. It's been challenged on a number of occasions. The Supreme Court has reaffirmed the decision, sometimes on the merits, sometimes in Casey based on sorry decisis. Okay, he's just stating the facts there. Durbin, is it the settled law of the land? This is directly to uh, Alito. And Alito said, if settled means that it can't be reexamined, that's one thing. If settled means that it's a precedent of the court, then it's protected, entitled to respect under the doctrine of stare decisis. And that way, then I understand. So he's saying it's settled in the legal uh, aspect as, as far as it's a precedent, but that he indicates that even settled law can be revisited. So I'd say he's in the leaning uh, anti-Roe vote. So we have one for, one leaning for, one leaning against. We're certainly not to the five votes that we need. Now, if you look at Justice Gorsuch and now uh, Justice Kavanaugh, I think they're an open book. I think they're, it's really, really hard to predict where they might land on the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I think there's, it's impossible to know. Uh, very, very difficult to know the answer to that. I think we're speculating big time on it. So uh, it's possible that they might lean towards uh, overturning Roe versus Wade. I think Neil Gorsuch in his recent decisions since he's been on the court have been a little more conservative than, uh, say, John Roberts, probably more conservative than Justice Kavanaugh. Again, five votes isn't going to do it, folks. We're going to have to have six or maybe even seven votes of the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn it. Uh, so I think it's it's highly uh dubious to begin to think that we are going to be overturning Roe versus Wade anytime soon, even with a second term of President Trump, even with the replacement of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that could happen as early as next summer. You know, I don't want to be a downer, but I want to be clear with people, be real, be uh, let's deal with this, deal with the facts as they are, not as we wish them to be. I think we can be hopeful that if Trump gets back in, that we might have another opportunity beyond Ruth Bader Ginsburg to put someone else on the court, which may even give us the seven we need to overturn Roe versus Wade. But there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done before we get there. And I don't want to be, you know, painting a Pollyanna view of the overturning Roe versus Wade. It just isn't going to go that way, in my opinion. There's going to be a lot of work to do. And the first thing is uh, if, if President Trump gets reelected, then the odds go up, uh, I think, uh, quite a bit. So anyway, that's my take on things. Again, I think we're uh, we're heading towards the mother mother of all battles here in 2020 with the presidential election, with the stakes being so high 
that uh, the presidential candidates on the Democrat side, all every one of them supports abortion up until the very moment of birth. And now we have uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's questionable health coming into focus, possibly with her replacement next summer. This sets the stage uh, for, like I say, the perfect storm, and we need to be prepared for it. Folks, please pray for us as we plan to go down to Houston, Texas for the presidential debates on September 13th, coming up here in about a week or so. We need your prayers. It's a real battle uh, to, to reach out and and uh, witness on behalf of life at these kinds of events. But someone needs to do it. I mean, we need a prophetic voice in America that's calling our leadership to account for the shedding of innocent blood. And that's what we do here at Created Equal at one level. We are out in the public square wherever people are espousing abortion, wherever they're promoting the child killing, we will be there to defend the sanctity of human life. So I ask for your prayers uh, for the the uh, as we go out and protest the uh, September 13th presidential debates in Houston, Texas. If you want to find out more about the program, go to markharrington.org. That's markharrington.org. And if you want to donate, want to support us financially, go to createdequal.org. Or uh, and you can find out more there. You can donate online to help us with our fight to defend the preborn against the onslaught of child killing that's ravaging America. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to become a witness against the evil, evil plague in America, call Created Equal at 614-269-7808, 614-269-7808, or go online to createdequal.net, createdequal.net. Be sure to tune to The Mark Harrington Show next time for your marching orders in the culture war.